What up all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 239 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Maya Lombards from HealthyHighAchievers.community. And this was such a rad, poignant, inspirational episode for me here, and I think it will be for you as well. Maya is an inspirational young lady because she took full responsibility for her life situation, her health, and she figured out a way to heal herself and put herself in a situation down in Cusco, Peru, where she thrives, she loves life, and just feels like she's living the best life she could have ever imagined for herself, which is what Misfits and Rejects is about, taking full responsibility for your life situation, going out and manifesting it, making it happen to the best of your ability. So this episode came at the right time for me just to give me that extra jolt of inspiration as I continue to strive for the goals that I've set for myself. For all you listeners out there, I will be giving update on what that means to me in next week's episode. So stay tuned for that. But for now, Maya's episode is awesome. She is so open, so transparent, and just you can feel her glow through the microphone as she tells her story. So I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy this episode. I just want to give a quick shout out. Thank you, Steve Appleton, for encouraging me, inspiring me, and just reaching out to check in. I do appreciate you. Anna Yen as well. You guys from the Dynamite Circle are so awesome, so supportive, and it means the world to me to have that kind of love and support from just people in my community. Thank you. And for everyone out there, I hope I'm doing a good job of letting you know how much I care about you through the people who support me on Patreon to obviously my close friends and family who are always in my corner, always rooting for me. I love you all so much. You mean the world to me. My life is so much richer because you all are in it. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I love you all. But I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Maya Lombards from HealthyHighAchievers.community. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Maya Lombards from HealthyHighAchievers.community. Maya, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where are you located right now? I am in Cusco, Peru, but I'm from Belgium, actually. Nice. That's so exotic. I think that's uh, a place I've never been. I know that for sure. And a place I definitely want to go because I have a lot of friends there. How long have you been there? I've been here now for six years and I was supposed to be here for only three months. <laughs> that's a common, common story and common thing that a lot of people come on this podcast and talk about how life just took a crazy turn for them and the unexpected happened. But the beautiful thing about all these misfits and rejects that I get to talk to is they had the courage to follow that intuition, follow that path, and move forward towards that thing that they've always dreamed of doing, accomplishing, whatever it may be. So if you don't mind, you did mention you're from Belgium. Can you talk a little bit about your upbringing and where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from Mechelen, which is a city in between Antwerp and Brussels. And it's right where the festival Tomorrowland happens. <laughs> so maybe most, most people are familiar with that. Um, and just a very Flemish place, you know, so not too international. Um, and I never felt at home there. I always had problems making friends. 
it was never easy. I always felt like locked up inside myself because I'm a very, a very open hearted, touchy feely person. And I love meeting people and I'm curious about other personalities. And that is the opposite of what the typical Flemish person is like, because <laughs> they're often stuck in their own little friend group of um, secondary school or college and never really go outside of that. And so I always felt disappointed, really, in social life of meeting a new person, me feeling interested in, hey, who are you? You know, how do you think? How do you feel in life? And then I didn't feel that same curiosity towards me. And then I wondered, am I not interesting enough? You know, why are people not curious about me as much as I'm curious about them? Wow, I can relate in so many ways. And it's a funny coincidence that you were from, you said, how do you say Mechelen? Mechelen, yes, Mechelen. perfect. So when I moved to Belgium, as we talked about pre-show, I was going to try to play professional soccer, and I was living in Antwerp. And the first tryout I had was with KV Mechelen. KV Mechelen, <laughs> nice. My grandfather was actually the president of the, of the fan club many, many years ago. <laughs> well, that might be the how I got the interview and the trial because I called the fan club and I spoke to somebody and it was a man and he put me in contact with the club that then allowed me to come try out. So I don't know if wow. that was your grandfather I spoke to. I mean, how long ago was it? Because this was in 2003. Okay. Oh, 2000, 2000, um, yeah, 2003, I think. It could could have been, could have been, really. So this is giving me goosebumps. What a great coincidence. <laughs> it's, it's very cool. And yeah, you speaking about that lack of connection to people is something that I can relate to as well, coming from where I come from. We have great people. However, I just never found a way to connect with them in the way that I like to be connected to in the same way that you did. Have you ever taken like a personality test? Are you introverted, extroverted? Do you know? I've never really taken a test, but I know I'm kind of both. I get energy from meeting people, but it also makes me feel drained. So then I need to be by myself and gather my my thoughts. But I'm also very much like a high sensation seeker. You know, I love the adventure and the excitement and meeting people. But then I need to withdraw when I need to come to my calmness and find my peace and recharge my batteries, basically. Nice. Okay. So yeah, I'm more introverted, I would say, in most social situations, although I enjoy a lot of great conversations, ultimately will always drain me enough to where I have to retreat and recharge my batteries. So that's such a cool coincidence, though, being where you're from and me being familiar with your, your place. And yeah, uh, that's very exciting. Yes, I, I think that we've been brought together for a reason. So I'm happy to have you on the show. I absolutely think so. And so let's talk about a little bit more about your upbringing. Obviously, emotionally, you felt detached from your environment. But I also know through the research that I did that you were diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue as a 15-year-old woman. Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, I did. I feel like I didn't have a normal teenage life um, between my 15 and my 19. I was basically just focusing on my health and being able to walk because I was walking with a cane and I couldn't go to school. And it was it was gradually it was um, at first I would just get tired after school and I would sleep. And then my mom thought maybe I got bullied or something, but that wasn't really the case. Because I also stopped going to my singing classes, you know, because I'm a singer here in Peru and I used to take classes in Belgium. 
And I also couldn't do that. So my body, every time I woke up with that feeling of, okay, today I can do this. But then I would hold on to the sink and kind of feel my legs shaking. And my whole body just felt too heavy to carry. And doctors didn't know what to do with me. They were like, well, you're fine. You know, your heart's fine. Your muscles are fine. Um, everything looks fine. So that was also part of the a big struggle, really, to... First of all, personality-wise, right? Not finding the kind of friends for me. And then secondly, being a misfit in this way of everyone was dating or experimenting with makeup. You know, 15 years, 16-year-olds, just that experimenting. And I was worried about being able to walk. So that was a very different teenage experience. I feel like I just skipped those years from 15 to 19. Mm -hmm. Can I ask, like, from the Belgian medical perspective, like, obviously, you said they didn't really know what was wrong with you. Ultimately, you found out you they diagnosed you with fibromyalgia. Like, what does that mean? Like, what does chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia mean? Is it the same thing? Is it a combination of two things? Do they have any idea? Well, that the last thing you said is very accurate. Like, do they have any idea? Right? Because I just felt that they did all these kinds of tests. And then they were just pushing, so the tests to diagnose fibromyalgia, which is basically random muscle aches that you don't know where it's coming from, they push certain points on your body, 18 points. And when it hurts, when I think, what's the amount, maybe more, when 12 out of 18 hurt or something like that, um, you have fibromyalgia. So I remember the woman was pushing several points on my body, and she was like, does it hurt? I said, no. Does it hurt? I said, no. Does it hurt? I said, no. But I still feel the first point you you touched. And she said, oh, then you should say that it hurts. I said, but this is not pain. You know, I got used to real pain. It felt like knives in my hips, my fibromyalgia. So for me, that wasn't pain. I was just feeling it. <laughs> but then they said, okay, then you have fibromyalgia. And then at first, I left the hospital happy to have a name. To finally be able to, it was after a year or so, to be able to say, hey, I have this. When people ask you, so what do you have? You know, what's wrong? And you don't know what to answer. And so I was super happy to say, to have a name. And then I started looking up stuff and I wrote a blog and I got all these reactions all around Belgium of people who had the same diagnose. And it was all different. They all had different treatments, let's say. Some of them had a year long of antibiotics because they believed it was a bacteria that needed to, to be killed. Um, other people had hormones that they had to take. Other people had to have like a magnesium IV. I don't know, all these different treatments that I said, wow, people are really experimenting on them. So I realized that fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome were just like trash can diagnosis of another problem in the body that they just didn't know what it was or what to do about it. Because why is your body extremely tired, right? Why is your body, why do you have random muscle aches? But they don't ask themselves a the question, why? They just say, hey, you know, this is a chronic disease. It's going to be for your whole life and uh, good luck. Well, I like where this is going. So obviously you've done a lot of research and you've come to your own conclusion. So where, where did that why take you yeah that led me to i'm i'm right now 
I'm pretty proud of myself, realizing that at the age of 16, I trusted my intuition saying, there's more to it here. This is not, I'm not going to accept just like a chronic disease diagnosed. There is something in my body that maybe healthcare isn't advanced enough yet to know what it is, but there's something going on. Because they said, oh, and fibromyalgia, you know, it's in your head. It's because of stress. I was the most optimistic, happy-go-lucky girl. <laughs> and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't come from stress. And so, yeah, I started doing my own research. I didn't know where to turn to. So I read a lot of books on mindfulness, meditation, healthy habits. So I started there. I started going to a psychotherapist. I didn't know about health coaches or where to go. So I went to a psychotherapist and she taught me about my highly sensitive nature and kind of understanding myself better, but mostly listening to my body and being my own best friend because I was such a high achiever myself and I wanted to do many things with my life and my body was stopping me. That's how I felt. And so I needed to become friends with a body that had many limits and become really smart with the small energy bucket I had. Because at the hospital, they literally said, Maya, your energy bucket is just way smaller than other people. And you'll just have to learn how to live with that. So that's what I did at first. But I still believed that there was something more. But that came years after, really, after moving to Peru even. Interesting. Can you, since we're on the topic, I'd like to go into more detail because I'm familiar with it only because my stepmother has been diagnosed with it oh. as well. So I've done my research. I grew up in a family that was always looking for a holistic answer to healing yourself. So I've been down the rabbit hole, not that any of my information is accurate, but I'd love to learn more about what you did finally discover. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll make that quite a long story <laughs> short because <laughs> when I went to Peru I didn't know how my body would react right to the altitude it's um at 3,400 meters altitude Cusco so I was quite insecure it's like maybe I'll, I'll feel worse but then all of a sudden I started feeling way better I could run upstairs I could work full-time I could dance salsa and I was like what is happening you know that happened after only two months and I felt so much better, but I didn't know why. So again, that question, why do I feel better here? And I was researching on the internet and I bumped into also these holistic health advice um, webinars and things. And I heard a talk about fibromyalgia where they talked about functional medicine too. And they said, you know what? Fibromyalgia is just the name of a group of symptoms, but it doesn't say where it's coming from. You need to go upstream and see where is it coming from? Where did it start? When did the body explode and started not functioning well, right? Because they could do all these kind of scans. They, I had, for example, I had many digestive issues and they would just take a scan of my bowels and look at the scan and say, oh, all, everything looks completely normal. <laughs> but they didn't investigate how my liver was functioning, how my bowels were functioning, what my microbiome was like, right? And I'm talking about more than 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago. So right now, luckily, we're more conscious of the microbiome and it's just starting that movement. But back then, it was just, no, your bowels look fine. Everything's fine. 
So then I started studying everything there was, there was to study. I said, okay, if there's no doctor that can help me, I will do it myself. So I started studying for myself um, all these free webinars <laughs> there are. And I started binge watching everything there was about functional medicine, about the body and, and holistic health. And after three years, when I decided to go back to Belgium, and I'll talk about that return afterwards. But when I decided to go back, I said, hey, maybe I can go to a functional medicine doctor there and see, you know, see what's happening in my body. Maybe they find something that 10 years ago they didn't find. And I was right. So first I talked to the health coach of, of the practitioner and she said, Maya, after two conversations, she was like, Maya, if you know so much about this already and you know what it's like to struggle with chronic disease and you love working with people, haven't you thought of a career switch? And back then I was an office manager. I was an intercultural relations manager. So very business. And I said, no, I never thought of working in health or, or anything that was just for myself, right? My, to help myself. And that's how my career switch happened. I started studying as a functional medicine certified health coach. And um, now I help people in that way as well, apart from the healthy high achievers community. And so, yeah, that, that practitioner, that practitioner said, they, he did some tests and he said, okay, they never really tested this and never really worked on that. And in the end, you know, first I had some uh, microbiome issues to work through, but the food sensitivities and microbiome issues were just a consequence of the real cause that afterwards they found that my liver was full of toxins like rubber, plastic, gasoline, everything that you basically breathe in or put on your skin. As a highly sensitive person, I just absorbed it all immediately and it got stuck in my liver and I didn't have the glutathione, which is the enzyme, one of the important enzymes to detoxify your liver, your liver that was at zero. So I didn't have the enzyme to properly detoxify my liver. And that's basically when my body exploded. And at 15, I was so proud. I had a motorcycle and, uh, you know, it was all gasoline and rubber, right? <laughs> Breathing all that stuff in. And um, my body just exploded from all the toxins. That, and it's always a combination of tri triggers. So it was the toxins in my liver. It was mold um, from some rain that came into my bedroom. And we thought it was all solved. But mold in the house is always a big issue, too. And emotional stress, too, because I was growing apart with my two best friends, I didn't resonate with them anymore. And um, because, uh, as you know, I had a hard time really connecting with friends in a way I wanted to connect with them. And so it's always a combi combination of triggers, emotional too, but also physical. And that's how I found my cause of my fibromyalgia. That's so cool. I mean, so many, I think, listeners, including myself, can relate, um, I think, to I don't know about chronic disease per se, but just the, the three things that can trigger emotional responses, physical responses in, in our daily lives and then cause us a lot of trauma as we move forward. Um, where do you find yourself now with your fibromyalgia? Like, do you, does you get flare-ups? Does it come and go? Is it pre predominantly gone? Now I feel like it's mostly gone. So I have no muscle aches anymore, which is a big thing. I do feel like the chronic fatigue, it comes up when 
when I start eating more processed foods, when I start eating more sugar, because I left all it out, um, the more natural I go in my life, the better I feel. Um, even I make my own deodorant, I buy very natural um, shampoo and all that stuff. So when I start loosening up and I start just eating processed foods and I start, you know, cookies and all that stuff, then I feel worse. I feel more tired. I feel more, I even get, I feel it, I see it in my, on my skin. And so the more natural I go, the better I feel. And the chronic fatigue is a thing that maybe, but I don't know, I was 15 when this started. So maybe I still have less energy than the average person. I'm not very sure. But with the amount of energy I have right now, I have become so smart with it, with dividing my energy, listening to my body, because that's what I had to learn at the age of 15, that I can basically do everything I want to do. I cannot do a 10-day crazy hike sleeping in tents every night, <laughs> but I'm not too interested in that anyway. So everything I want to do with my life, I can do it. That's so cool. Would you say in hindsight, landing in Peru, that you were introduced to a different diet that could have been cleaner and maybe an environment that didn't have the same sort of toxicity that you lived, lived in back in Belgium? Exactly. Exactly. So when I asked myself that question, so why in Peru I started feeling better? And I realized it's a combination of all of that. You know, my food comes from the market. I barely ever go to the supermarket. Everything, I don't eat anything that's processed, mainly my decision, but also mostly this culture. Um, social life, you know, when I walk on the street, I sometimes calculate when I have to be somewhere in 10 minutes, I will leave 20 minutes in advance because I know that on my way, I will meet people that I know. And there will be a moment of a quick, Hey, how are you doing? Yes. Have a great day. Bye. Like half a hug. And <laughs> so the social life where nothing is planned, my calendar apart from work commitments is empty. I start with an empty day. And then it fills itself up. It's very much this culture allows me to listen to my body. Because when I don't feel like doing anything, I can hang on the couch and rest. When I feel like seeing someone, there will be a friend say, hey, Maya, let's go for lunch. Yes, let's go. And then you go. So the social life, the flexible life, the food, the air, the mountain air, I feel the dry air is doing me very well. Because humid air is... You know, there are more bacteria and viruses and toxins traveling around humidity, humid air. In dry air, you have less of that traveling around, so it's more pure. Um, and so many other things. The sunlight is another example. In Belgium, you have uh, nine months a year is winter, right? <laughs> well, that's a bit exaggerated. But um, in winter, you have all these gray clouds and you never see the sun. And then the first time you see the sun in the month of maybe March or April, you realize you haven't seen it in so many months. So it's like, ah, you know. And here in Peru, even in rainy season or dry season, the whole year through I have the same temperature. And even in rain season, the sun comes through every day. There might be one hour of rain a day, but the rest of the time I have the sun. Wow, such a cool, such a cool story. So inspired by it. I love it. When you decided to leave Belgium originally and go to Peru, what was the impetus for that? I was supposed to only go for three months, like I mentioned. It was to do my internship. So at the in the last year of university in Belgium, you can choose if you do your three-month internship in Belgium 
or in another country. And I always, I've always wanted to go to Latin America. When I was 13, I started learning Spanish. It was like my hobby. And my favorite movie was Dirty Dancing 2, you know, when they're in Cuba dancing salsa. <laughs> and I said to my mom, you know, mom, after I graduate, I will live in Latin America. I don't know. And then with my health issues, um, I realized that maybe that wouldn't be possible. So I said, maybe I can just do my internship, you know, maybe just three months. And there were, I remember there were two options for Latin America from my university. One option was Mexico City, working at an international office of a university. And then the second option was Cusco, working as an, as an office manager at an NGO, helping single mothers to become teachers in Spanish to tourists. So to give them a job opportunity, I said, okay, you know, that second option sounds way cooler, you know, social impact, a smaller place, a smaller organization, I can have more um, responsibilities. And so I picked Cusco without knowing anything about Cusco, apart from that the Machu Picchu is somewhere around there, you know. Yeah, I was always very intrigued by Peru as well. I think because of the Machu Picchu thing I learned in history, it was so mysterious to me. And I used to write all of my my book reports on the Peruvian culture and Peru in general. I can't believe I've never been there. I mean, I've been to Did Chile you? and Colombia, but yeah, Peru. You've is... never been here. Nope, not yet. Oh, well, you have a local guide here <laughs> <laughs> whenever you want. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. So three months turned into how long in Peru? So after three months, I added on an extra month, four month, months, and then I had to go back to Belgium to graduate. But when I was still here, I said, I had a kind of feeling there is more for me here. So I felt like I want to stay until I feel like going home. And so I bought a one-way ticket to come back to Peru when I was still in Peru, but planning on going back to Belgium. <laughs> so I arrived in Belgium telling my mom, yeah, I'm here, but only for the summer. And then I'll just move back to Peru. And I don't know for how long. And she was like, what? <laughs> but something was just pulling me towards Cusco. And in those first three months, you know, I, I have to admit that at first I felt like this is not my place because I was staying with a local family far away from the city center in a, a very local neighborhood, many street dogs, a lot of trash, um, a lot of buses and noise and people. And the house itself was like a patio with the rooms around it. So I had to go from my room outside to the shower that was basically outside um, and so I didn't feel like I was in a house and me being like a very homey, cozy Taurus, <laughs> I want to have my homey feels my place. So, you know? and so I didn't feel at home there at all, but after a while, from the moment I started making my first friends and I started dancing salsa, just like in my favorite movie <laughs> when I was 14, <laughs> Um, I started enjoying it so much. And then I met a couple of musicians. And singing has always been my biggest passion. As a kid, I wanted to become a singer. But then you hear all those stories from your parents and your culture saying, oh, it's hard to make money with music. So when I had to give a presentation about my dream job in primary school, I talked about becoming an accountant. Because I heard from my parents that every business needs an accountant. And that's a job that will never disappear. <laughs> that was my dream job. And I studied as an accountant even when I was 14, 15, 16. 
And so when I met some musicians here and they said, Maya, so yeah, you're a good singer. How much do you want to earn? And I looked at them like, what? First, they are going to let me sing because I hated everything I would record of myself and I was too perfectionistic. And secondly, they will pay me for it. And that's when I started working as a singer in bars. And it was absurd for me at first that my guitar player would like talk to the people and ask people where they're from and kind of entertain. And I would be like sitting there shy, (laughs) not knowing what to say. And that became when I decided to stay in Peru, that became my evening job. I had three, four gigs a week. This week I have five and I turned down one. So it would have been six. And that has become my, my evening job. So another dream, another that I always call this the greatest side effect of my time in Peru because it wasn't my goal. It wasn't even an option in my head, but it did happen. My biggest passion became my job here as well. So cool. So obviously you make enough to sustain yourself. And when they first offered the amount of money that they offered was enough that you started becoming comfortable with the idea of staying and being able to support yourself? Yeah, it was, um, you know, in the beginning it was once a week, twice a week. So I didn't really see it as an income. Um, but then I started looking for a job and when you're in Peru and you're good at organizing stuff, you're a good coordinator, you're able to speak English and Spanish they give you all the management jobs there are. So <laughs> first I was a volunteer coordinator, um, helping volunteers who arrived here to book their Spanish classes and their tours and their accommodations and everything. And then I became the manager of a Spanish school. So that was a full-time job, lots of responsibility for, I was 22 back then, but I learned so much from just, I was basically running a company without it being mine. And then after a year or so, I quit because I had more singing gigs. So I started focusing my attention more on singing and then doing some like side jobs. People heard I was not working full time anymore. And they said, oh, maybe Maya can help us with this. Oh, maybe Maya can restructure our Spanish school. Oh, maybe Maya can start this project of cooking classes for tourists. You know, And I had all these different projects and basically already working as a freelancer and virtual assistant, let's say, before it even being a, a thing or, <laughs> or me building a company around it. Or it was just all, you know, Peru is very informal. So it was just all word of mouth and, and in cash. Okay, that was my next question because a lot of people listening are like, well, how do you get around that where it's like you're not a citizen and you're making money? Like, So it's all in cash, which is how you stayed. Then how, obviously, as a tourist, you only get a certain amount of time in the country. Did you start applying for residency or have you just jumped across the border every, what is it, three months down there? I'm not sure. Yeah, in the beginning, I did a lot of uh, border runs. Um, right now, it's becoming a bit harder. But back then, it was still a very normal thing to do. You go to Bolivia, you come back. And um, you see if the person in front of you at the border is nice, nice enough to give you more time. And um, the last time I did that, the person was like, no, you know what? You're here for too long now. I'm going to give you 30 days and bye-bye. And that's when I was working as a volunteer coordinator. But that was only cash, too. And I said, okay, then I had to change jobs to the Spanish school just because of my visa. 
I didn't want to leave that other job. But here you had to, the rule was that you needed to have five Peruvians with a contract to hire one foreign person. And in Peruvian businesses here, almost nobody had a contract. <laughs> it was all just in cash and just, so it was hard to find a business like that. But when I found the Spanish school, that's how I got a working visa and, and I could stay longer through that job. And now I'm doing the same, but through the singing. So the company, there's a company, so I have an acoustic duo that I write songs with and we're in bars, but then I also sing in hotels, um, Marriott Hotel and four and five star hotels and weddings. And that's a business. And they could hire me and give me a contract. And apart from that, so I do that, the singing. Apart from that, I rent out the other room in my apartment, right, to have an extra income. And I have my online business, which is a European business. Um, healthy high achievers as a functional medicine certified health coach. And there, the, the great thing is that I wouldn't be able to be building my business being in Belgium because I don't earn enough euros to be able to live in Europe. But here being in Cusco, I can take my time. I have my other income streams and I can just um, build my business and take time for it. And I don't need many euros coming in for my business to be able to live here. Dream, dream job. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that. I've always struggled because I, I'll like save up a bit of money and then head out to Thailand or head to Mexico or head back to Nicaragua with that chunk of money and then try to build my business. But never, never really having that much to sustain myself other than my savings, which eventually just runs out and I have to come back. And so the model that you're implementing is a dream model, but it still sounds like there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say luck involved, but like obviously like circumstances were very in your favor with the singing and your, your internship that led to the connections that you had and so forth and so on. But it's still, I think important to note that like everyone should still go try, you know, Everyone should still yeah. take that first step and, and give it a go. Because, I mean, I still, yeah, it all sounds easy, but I still had to, how many bars and hotels have I had to stalk, basically, <laughs> to be able to sing there for them to hire me? You know? um, there's a battle with my online business, for sure, because recently my accountancy said, you know, you're not bringing in enough money, your business might have to shut down. And so that was a big shock for me. Like, okay, I'm giving too many discounts. I'm thinking in Peruvian solace. I need to think in euros for my European business to function. And so there are all these things also looking for a job, talking to so many people, networking. You know, you have to put the action behind that for that stuff to happen. And I must admit that when I was working at the Spanish school, I was using all my savings too. I didn't have the money to go back to Belgium and visit, right? So I had to, once I went to Belgium using my savings, the second time I went to Belgium and I got lucky because my flight got delayed and I got almost the whole amount back from the flight company. So that was almost a free visit. And then the third time I was like, okay, you know what? I can't keep doing this. After three years, I said, I can't work at a local company that does not give me money to go and visit my family once a year, which would be ideal for me. 
So that's when I said, okay, I need to stop doing this. I need to go back to Belgium, start a serious life. My savings are almost, you know, at zero. Um, I need to go and, and have a Belgian life. Enough playing around in Cusco, enough singing and, you know, all these jobs. Now I need to go to Belgium, get a job, maybe, you know, meet someone, build a family and have the whole classic life. Wow. Yeah, I can really relate to you struggling to maintain the life in both places. Like me living in Nicaragua wasn't making me enough money to come home. And my mom got sick and I had to come home, but I couldn't afford it. So I can really relate to that stress level of like, how am I going to live the life I want in this environment where you're obviously healthy, you're happy, you're thriving, but yet you still want to see your family. So talk us through then what that meant to go home and how that all played out. Yeah, going home was um, rough, actually. I was there for a year, a year and a half in total. And at first, I thought that was what I wanted. You know, I thought in my head, okay, this is, now I'm going to start the real life. Now I'm going to build something up because life is better in Europe and the living standards and social security and all that jazz. And I thought, okay, here I'm going to start the real life. <laughs> and I started looking for jobs and I, I got a job in Mechila and I became a roommate of my best friend there. And so I was it was all Mechelen based, right? Nothing international. I was an office manager at a design company with all Belgians. <laughs> and then uh, winter hit and it hit me pretty hard because in the beginning, everything's like, oh, look, touchscreen. Oh, everything's so automatic. Oh, look, first world stuff, you know, <laughs> and everything's so fun. Uh, but once you get used to that luxury of the first first world, let's say, it starts to really, you know, get boring. And you ask yourself, am I happy here? And again, social life, you know, all my friends had their agendas fully booked. It's like, hey, do you want to go for dinner? Oh, yeah, in three weeks on Friday, I might have a spot. Or on Saturday when I was like, oh, actually, I'm feeling like going out, you know, who's available? And then no one. And also when they have plans, they don't invite you to their plans like they do in Peru. They just say, oh, no, I am already meeting another friend. Sorry. And then you're just left with nothing on a Saturday night. So it was very hard for me walking around as well in winter. Everyone's with their faces, like their cold, frozen faces. And I was listening to, I remember I was listening to um, Vicente Garcia in Cultura Profetica, which is like music from, uh, I think, Republic, Dominican Republic. Um, and that made me more happy. It was more bachata <laughs> in Spanish. And I used that to survive, really, to feel the sun inside of me. And I think the most intense moment was that the moment I arrived in Belgium, I wrote myself a letter. And I wrote on that letter, the title was, whenever you lose your light, read this. And after a year, it was right before pandemic, I read that letter because I, I felt like I completely lost that bright Peruvian Maya light that I had. As a where is it? You know, I became more stuck up in my head, just like Belgian culture, just living very rational and living more in their heads. And I read my letter and it was exactly what I needed to hear. So it's like, Maya, you know your way. You know what you should do. You know where you should be. You have that light. 
it's not you didn't leave it behind in Peru it's there still within you right and I was like okay and then I said you know what this life this is not what I want I realized all of a sudden that it was what my parents wanted it was it was what my family wanted it was what my culture my culture saw as normal it wasn't what I wanted. I was like, I don't want to have that stable job every day at the same office and being here in Belgium, sticking with my group of friends and not meeting new people. I don't want to have a family. I don't even think I want to have kids. And I said, I want to, maybe the, the place I am the happiest, unfortunately, is on the other side of the world. And I just saw myself building my online business, combining several projects, being a singer. And I'm like, I don't even care if I'm single my whole life. You know, I don't even want to have kids. I don't want a whole, the whole life of your house and you know, buying a house and your little garden and your dog. I love dogs. I have a dog here now. But I said, you know, I want a different kind of life. And I think it's in Cusco. And so for now, my place is Cusco. And it was really hard to go back to my parents and tell them because they were so happy that I was back. You know, finally, after three years, they're like, yes, yeah, she's back. She's going to stay with us now. And I told my mom, I said, mom, you know what? I'm not happy. And she said, I saw that. I understand. So I didn't even have to tell her or say, hey, I'm going back to Peru. She knew. She understood. And for other family members, it was harder. It was like, what? You're going back there, but your life, blah, blah, and far away. And for how long this time? And I said, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. For now, for now, this is my place. And that's my opinion at this moment, too. For now, Peru is my place. But who knows how I'll feel or who I will be in five years time, right? So I can't say this is forever, forever, because maybe I'll end up in Brazil, or maybe I'll end up in Spain or in, in Belgium, in Brussels at the end. I don't know. But it was it was hard to accept at first. But it was kind of, sometimes you ask the question, oh, but how were you able to follow that intuition or go against everything else or the normal life? But I feel like I didn't have a choice. It was that or I think a full-on depression. So my body was just protesting. Like, if you don't listen to me, if you don't listen to your intuition, you know, I feel like my whole system was going to protest or something. That's really cool that your parents report you're supportive. Like they supported your decision to go back, but it still doesn't solve the problem of financially coming to a place that you can still go back and visit. So making that decision to go back, what was your game plan just to win? Yeah. Did you have a good game plan? Being in Belgium, I was already studying as a functional medicine health coach, and it was um, studies from the U.S., so they were teaching us to coach over Zoom. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit, and Zoom became, became everyone's everything, right? <laughs> and so I said, okay, if I can do these sessions online, maybe there's a way I can have an online job being in Peru which would give me the freedom to go to Belgium whenever I feel like I have to go and for as long as I feel like I have to be there. 
because when I had a local job here, they would give me, you know, three weeks vacation and I would add on some weeks where they wouldn't pay me, but I wanted to spend more time in Belgium and I had to schedule it and plan it. And just that feeling of not being able to go home when you feel like going home, it's, it's very, feels like you're blocking yourself. It feels limiting. And so now just the feeling that I can go whenever I want to go, whenever I feel like it, and for as long as I, I feel like, because I can keep working there, that feels very freeing. And I would say right now, I'm reaching the point where I can save, enough, save up enough euros to go back every year. Not quite there yet, so I'll still have to stay at my parents' place. And, you know, my dream is to just have my own space or, or rent an Airbnb or something. But I know I'll just have to really watch my expenses when I'm in Belgium. But I know I'm on my way. I know I want to build that for myself to be comfortable to be living here in Peru, but to also be able to save up some money for when I go back to Belgium and feel comfortable and not restricted there. So how long has it been since you've been back in Peru after you made that decision and then you started trying to build this online business? It's been a year and a half. And that's a funny story, actually, because the moment I decided it is time to go back to Peru, the pandemic hit. <laughs> so I had quit my job in Belgium and then the pandemic hit. And so the state wasn't giving me anything because I was the one who quit. And so I didn't, I was left with no income with a full on pandemic, still spending all my energy on the studies as a functional medicine health coach. So I was loving having all the energy for that, but I was like, okay, I cannot pay a rent anymore. So what will I do? When will I have a flight? That was like in March, right? March, what was it, 2020? And I said, maybe in August there will be a flight. So I said, okay, I'll move back to my parents' place just for two months. <laughs> and then I'll buy a flight. So I went back to my parents' place and I was just, you know, eating their food and living there for free. And my mom was supporting me because I was studying. She said, okay, I'll support you. But then there weren't still no flights. And in August, end of August, I said, okay, I don't want to be living with my parents for how long? I don't know. Is it going to take six months more? I don't know. What am I going to do? And I felt more and more low and down in Belgium. And I was like, I need to have that flight. And I said, okay, you know what? I didn't know that I felt better in Brussels because Brussels is a more international city. It's not even, it's not Belgium, Belgium anymore. It's just a an international hub, right? But I felt very good there. I was taking salsa classes in Brussels <laughs> and I had friends in Brussels and I felt, I was like, I wish I could live in Brussels you now. And then all of a sudden I met the friend of my salsa teacher who was like a Moroccan hippie musician cook <laughs> living in Brussels, receiving also refugees in his home and stuff. And I was telling him my story and what I was studying and the business I wanted to build. And he said, you know what? You should live in Brussels because your Mechila is not doing you well at this moment. Your parents' house is not doing you well right now. I support what you're doing. Just stay at my place and pay me whatever you can pay me. If it's zero, it's zero. If it's $200, it's $200, right? 
anything. And so I was like making an effort, living at his home, happily living at his home. I was so happy in Brussels, cleaning his apartment, cooking for him, <laughs> making up for not being able to pay your rent. And then I booked a flight to Peru um, in October, which got canceled. And then they said, okay, when do you want to try again? And I said, you know what, let's move the flight then to 17 December, random. Okay. And then two weeks before 17 December, I said, okay, I'm going to receive an email at any moment saying that they canceled the flight. So this is probably not going to happen. I broke my foot on the stairs, <laughs> had a cast for a week. Uh, it wasn't too bad, luckily, then had a brace. And I said, where's the email, right? Where's the email of cancellation? And then all of a sudden I saw in the news that from 15 December, they were going to have commercial flights between Madrid and Lima in Peru. And I said, oh shit, I think this is going to happen. I think I'm going to really travel with my crutches <laughs> and my broken foot. And last minute, I moved my stuff from Brussels to my parents' place, got everything because it was in the middle of COVID. So all these tests and things I had to have in order. And then I was at the airport and that was the first time ever that I didn't even cry saying goodbye to my mom because I didn't, my head, I couldn't wrap my head around it that I was really going back to Cusco. And even arriving in Cusco, I was, I was, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel anything. It was like my soul didn't travel with me yet. Right. And it came two weeks later being like, Oh, I'm really here. I'm really back in Cusco. And so 15 December, they opened the flights. 17 December, I flew. 21 December, they closed everything because there was a mutation in the UK. So there was a six day window and I just took it. <laughs> and then everything was closed. And I was like, okay, happily locked up in, in Cusco, right? Again, following that intuition, how powerful. You seem like you're very in tune with it and always leads you in the right direction at the right time. Yeah, when you have that little voice saying, you, let's try this, listen to it, please. Because sometimes the volume of that voice can be very low and you decide not to listen to it. But somehow it, it knows it's, it's creepy sometimes, but it does. When you did land, how far into developing your online business were you, This the health, Healthy High Achievers dot community? And what is it? Can you explain like to the audience what that means and, and what? you do for people and how the community works? Absolutely. So at first I thought, okay, do I want to help people with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome? But I never felt identified with that diagnose and I didn't feel passionate about it, like being an expert in that, let's say. And then I said, you know what I am passionate about is the moment I felt more energy, I wanted to do a million things. I wanted to take three online courses at the same time and listen to 30 podcasts at the same time and do all these things, right? Have several projects going on. And I said, that's the kind of people I want to work with, you know, who are feeling that drive to combine so many things to, to achieve a lot, high achievers really, but teach them what I learned when I was 15 to really pace yourself, to do it in a healthy way and to listen to your body, especially in these cultures U.S., Europe, where you live a lot in your head, everything is very, the mind's everything. You think you can think your way through everything, right? 
and really teaching him to them to come back to the body and listen to the intuition in the body. So I said, okay. And then I came up with a name. Now it's high achievers, but it's, I was like, do I work with driven people, driven entrepreneurs? I don't know, healthy entrepreneurs. Nah, they're not always entrepreneurs, you know. And then I came to the name healthy high achievers. And that became a boom because people were like, oh, I want to be a healthy high achiever. You know, I don't want to be an exhausted overachiever, <laughs> like the way I'm feeling now. I want to be that. And people needed something healthy, something positive, especially in the middle of pandemic. And that's when I started a Facebook group. And by the time I went to Peru, the Facebook group was already very active. Many people coming in, friends inviting friends. And a couple of months later, now we're on our own platform. So people, many people wanted to move away from social media. Facebook was a bit too much. And so now we're on our own platform and app. And um, yeah, I'm still I'm still loving the community I, I keep building. Is it a paid community? It's free. And there's also a paid membership in there where you get more like a private coaching session every three months and meditations I create and journal prompts, worksheets, all the good stuff. So, um, yeah, the podcast is free. The platform is free. Um, on Instagram, I give many updates. And then there are these paid um, products or courses like there's a 10 day, five minute audio course called Give Your Brain a Break. And that's really the first step in five minutes a day learning different techniques to just stop, right? Stop being busy and, and listen to the body. So as of now, your day looks like what? You are waking up, obviously doing your morning routine, but then are you sitting down at the computer developing all the content for your online business and your community and then in the evening singing? And are you getting revenue streams from both? Yeah. So in the morning... Um, I feel like I'm most productive behind a computer in the mornings. So definitely until lunch, I'm full on. But the fun thing here is that I completely let go of that idea that I need to work eight hours a day. Because I know I can, if I focus on the most impactful actions, I don't need to count hours. I need to count actions, right? So I'm very productive in the morning behind my computer. And then I allow myself to let go from lunchtime on, because lunch in Peru is a big moment. Everyone eats a menu, which is soup and a main dish and a drink, sometimes a dessert. So that's your main dish. And many people gather. So even when they work for companies, they have a one hour, two hour break. And so that, that's mostly the moment that I meet friends and have lunch with friends. And I just allow myself to, to be free, to work if I want to work. Sometimes I like to go with my computer to a, to a cafe or something and work a bit more there. Sometimes I like to rehearse some songs. Sometimes I'm just walking my dog and chilling because I know that in the evening I will be singing and that will be, um, that uses up a lot of energy too. So that's kind of what my days look like. Morning, super productive behind the computer. Afternoons, a bit freestyling and evenings singing. And by the way, uh, apart from my online business, I also work as a virtual assistant. So that's bringing the more stable online income, let's say, because that's like 10 hours a week. Um, and then apart from it, the online business, you know, it's like it, it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. So I felt like I needed a solid, stable base of an hourly rate, an income that I have every week, every month, 
and on top of that, building my online business. And then the singing obviously pays some on top of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say is your monthly cost of living in Peru? Just to give the audience myself some like perspective on, is it costing you like roughly, can you do, if you could do dollars great of euros, it's easier for you. Like what is like a thousand euros a month, a thousand dollars a month, less, more, less, less. Yeah. Less, less, way less. Cause let's say my rent plus my costs of internet, gas, electricity, water, um, is about $400, a bit less, let's say $360, 400 euros. Um, that's the living cost. And then eating is even less than that because <laughs> you can have these very cheap $1, $2 menus. And for me, I often bring my um, my container with me because it's too much. Peruvian per- portions are huge. So, And I have a small stomach. So for me, that that's for two days. So let's say <laughs> $1 a day to eat well, right? Um, and of course, you can you can choose because... There are people here who have a a hundred dollar room, right? And that's how they're living. I choose to have a three hundred sixty dollar apartment, but I also rent out the other room. So sometimes when I also when I always have someone there, I don't pay anything because it pays itself. Um, so you can kind of choose if you want to have a cheap life or if you want to go to fancy restaurants often. Then of course you need what, like you say, a thousand dollars. Um, and sometimes that's how I can flow with my income level because having several income streams helps you to, there's always something coming from somewhere. And when one stream is at zero, you can rely on your other income streams, but they all go up and down, right? Almost nothing is very stable. So then in my lifestyle, I can also flow (laughs) like, okay, now I earn more, I'm going to get a massage. <laughs> and you can kind of enjoy the money that you're earning. And other months, I'm like, okay, now I need to cook more at home because, uh, yeah, there's not much this month. One thing I think I think about a lot, I think I know my guests do as well, like live your accommodations. Obviously, you've tapped into, I'm assuming, a more local residency that is at the price point for locals. You're not paying what we call the gringo tax, as you probably have there. Where like exactly, you first yeah. arrive and like someone's like you're on Airbnb paying crazy amounts of money for a monthly rent, if you will. So then, how'd you come into contact with your landlord? Like, what would what were the steps that you took to find this apartment? Yeah, so the very first month I was staying with a host family through the NGO I was working for, and I was staying there with two Belgian girls. So I said, okay, I don't want to speak Dutch when I'm in Peru. So after a month, I started looking for an apartment. And the way I did it was not Airbnb, but actually in Peru, you had to buy the newspaper. (laughs) And I had a friend, a local friend helping me with that and call all the ads. And um, for me, phone calls in Spanish was still a bit difficult back then. So I had my friend help me. And I knew we just have to ask for the price because it was not in the newspaper, the price the area where it is, and go visit. So I would go visit a bunch of apartments. I found one, which was still a bit of a gringo price, actually. It was still quite expensive for what it was, thinking back, but I was still thinking euro, so I was happy with it. And then when I moved to this apartment, that was through friends. 
there was a friend who said, hey, I have an apartment. I'm looking for a roommate. Okay. So I think mainly local friends and look for a Facebook expat group. Because on Facebook, when you go into the expat groups, that's often where apartments with more local prices are um, are advertised or people looking for roommates. Got it. Good advice. Great advice. Um, you know, hearing your story for me is just always all these stories that I encounter with people like you is just so relevant to where I'm at right now and like what I'm trying to accomplish. Because my goal is Jan 1 of 2023 to be moving to Mexico. I just got my residency Still don't have a great idea of how I'm going to make money, but it's always a hope. You know, I've tried so many things at this point. The one thing that kind of makes a little money right now is like me freelancing on Upwork, um, but still quite haven't found my str my stride. But these conversations just give me so much hope, so much inspiration, so much motivation to keep trying, to keep pushing. If you could talk to one audience member and give them some words of wisdom, some advice on how to take that first step, go after that dream, overcome that fear of disappointing their parents or whoever they feel compelled to like do the right thing for, what would you say to them? I would say take it step by step. You know, don't nothing is permanent. So when you say for me it was even the fear inside of myself, like, oh, do I want to do this forever? Do I want to move forever and ever? But when you think about it, nothing is permanent. And it was actually my mom. She's still having a hard time letting me go. But back then she would say, Maya, just go. Just do it. And if you don't like it, come back. It's that simple. You know, so if you if you just take it a bit lighter and you see, okay, I'm just going to go and see what it's like. If I don't like it, I can co go back. And maybe you go back like I did. For a year and then you realize oh no no i want now i want to be there again it's okay you know it's a journey and and i think you learn by doing it and you learn by taking that jump and making contacts if i can give one advice meet a bunch of people start in one job knowing it won't be your forever job um, i worked in tourism and i made so many contacts here for the spanish school a funny anecdote I found that job because I was actually, when they gave me only 30 days um, to be in Peru, I was looking to marry someone. Seriously. I was thinking about, let me just marry a friend and uh, get my visa that way. It's the cheapest, easiest way. And at, my, at the migration office, they was like, okay, why are you not getting married? It's the easiest way. And I'm like, okay, it's just a contract. Let's just do it. I never did it, by the way. <laughs> But I was crazy enough to just ask people who I knew were married here. Hey, how's the process? You know, how did you do this? And that's how I talked to a Dutch girl who did get married here out of love <laughs> and have, has her kids here and everything. And she said, you know what? I'm pregnant and I'm going to stop working. Um, and I've been working at this Spanish school. They're They're looking for someone new. Maybe you could talk to them. And that's how I got my visa through a working visa, right? But my initial plan was getting married. <laughs> so just use your curiosity, ask people, say what you're looking for, make contacts. And, and when that happens, stay open, stay open to possibilities, stay open to things coming your path and try to flow with that. I love it, Maya. Folks, check her out at healthyhighachievers.community. Thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome.
Ah, uh, this has been a lovely chat. Thank you so much. Awesome, Maya. Thank you so much for joining me. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. And folks, if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. Leaving a comment, rating Misfits and Rejects is always appreciated. And especially sharing Misfits and Rejects with your friends, family, anybody you think that might like the message of taking full responsibility for yourself, going after what you want in life, trying to live in another country in a new way, in a way that maybe people judge you for, but it's more important to you to go after what you want and how you want to live your life. This is what the message is about here at Misfits and Rejects. I hope you're all feeling it. I hope you're all well. And like I said in the intro, please get ready. I'll be giving an update in next week's episode. Thank you again. I think you all are so very beautiful. And I'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.